So you think a Canadian bank can't fail, huh? You're looking at a scene here from 1996, which is the last time that it did happen. In June 1996, Security Home Mortgage Corporation closed its doors for good. But since 1967, 43 Canadian financial institutions have in fact failed. You're looking at a list on your screen of Canadian banks, trust companies, and mortgage companies that have gone out of business and left Canadians vulnerable to losing their money. It has been a while now, obviously, but recently a lot of talk about bank failures have resurfaced uh, in light of what we've seen down in the States. We've seen Silicon Valley Bank fail recently. We've seen Signature Bank go under. First Republic Bank was being in trouble, but now it's being propped up by you know the, the, the larger banks down there. If we look over in Europe, uh, Credit Suisse was basically on the verge of failure. UBS stepped up to uh, merge with them, but that was as of yesterday or the day before, next. Uh, by the Swiss Parliament. So uh, they're still having troubles over in Europe as well. So is it possible here in Canada that we're going to actually revisit what happened in 1996? I say yes, it will happen again. I'm not predicting imminently. I don't know when, but at some point we will see that happen here in Canada. There are plenty of others who say no, it won't happen. It can happen. But how do we compare to the U.S.? And what actually happens if a Canadian bank does fail? Well, first off, here in Canada, the authorities, of course, are saying that everything is just fine and well. And in response to the Silicon Valley Bank collapse, OSFI, which is the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions here in Canada, they seized SVB's Canadian operations, as they're charged to do. Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance, Christia Freeland, she said, we are in close contact with OSFI, which took action earlier this evening. Canada's well-regulated banking system is sound and resilient. Now, of course, I would expect no difference. I don't expect the government to come out and say, you know, run for the hills, we got big problems here. I do believe that Freeland is being truthful, but I also know that it can happen again. I do want to address though some of the differences between the, the US banking system and the Canadian banking system. So the first thing that is really most obvious is the number of banks. In Canada here, we have fewer banks, obviously, but we have more focused banks as well. And if you look at what we have here today, we have around 80 banks in Canada. There are 34 SCED 1 banks, so these are domestic banks. There are 15 SCED 2 banks, subsidiaries of foreign banks. 28 Schedule 3 banks, which are branches of foreign banks. And then there are four lending branches of foreign countries. If we compare this to the US, in the US today, there's over 4,200 banks. So just rough math, if I take the population of Canada, US is roughly nine times our population. So let's assume in a ratio they had nine times our banks. Well, that would put them at 720 banks compared to what we have here. Of course, they have more than 4,000. So there's a disproportionately high number of banks you know, in the two countries. And I would say 4,200 banks is a, is a big system for things to slip through the cracks. So I think uh, that one, that's one thing that the Canadian banking system has better or has an advantage over the US. When the conversation revolves around banks, you're gonna hear things like, are they too big to fail? And I would say in Canada, the big six banks, I, I would kind of agree fall basically into that category. They are systemically important to the way we do business. Obviously they're critical to our economy. They touch every aspect of what we do. So I, I think that the odds of one of the big six banks actually failing are, and not being um, bailed out, not being saved is, is very, very small. However, as I said, there's around 80 banks in Canada and so that leaves 74 that I think are at some risk. Uh, so, you know, depending on where you do business, your personal bank might have um, some more risk than, than the big six. 
another big difference between the two countries is oversight. And I want to talk about that now. First, though, I just want to remind you that in addition to this YouTube channel, we do have our Investing Academy. And this is our online platform where we work with Canadians literally from across the country of all ages. And we help educate about investing and financial issues in general. The course material is designed to take you from a raw beginner to fully confident investor. So I will put a link to our Investing Academy website in the description of this video. Now, when it comes to oversight of the financial services industry here in Canada, there's three main pillars of this oversight and protection. Uh, the first is OSFI. So this is the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions. It is an independent agency of the government of Canada. OSFI was founded back in 1987 and it's charged with monitoring and auditing Canadian banks, Canadian insurance companies, private pension plans. You can see from this chart here a list of the different types of entities that it oversees and the number in each of those categories. If a major problem develops here in Canada, OSFI would be charged with coordinating a rescue uh, just to sort of keep everything running smoothly. We did in fact see this with uh, SVB where when they uh, imploded down in the US, we saw OSFI step in and seize the assets of their uh, branch here in Canada. With the Bank of Canada approval, basically, OSPI can step in, they can lend money to anybody, they, they're well-funded because they have the backing of the government, so they, uh, they would be the first sort of line of defense there in the event of any major problems developing here in Canada. Another major role, another major function that OSPI has is stress testing. And we saw a lot of criticism recently when the US banking system had its recent troubles where there's a lot of talk about how the, the stress testing had been rolled back for certain institutions over the last number of years and that contributed quite a bit to the recent problems they've been having. When we look at the OSFI site, under their stress testing defined section, they say, stress testing is a risk management technique used to evaluate the potential effects on an institution's financial condition. They go on to say, stress testing is essentially important after long periods of benign economic and financial conditions when fading memory of negative conditions can lead to complacency and the underpricing of risk. Long periods of benign economic and financial conditions. Now that really sticks out on me when I when I read that the information off their website there. It's been a long time since the end of the great financial crisis back in 2009. And a lot of the urgency that seems to be in place uh, when we have a major event like we did then goes away and the, the rules are kind of relaxed. And they say here, when fading memory of negative conditions can lead to complacency. And I think back when I read this to the first attack on the World Trade Center in New York. And that wasn't in 2001, that wasn't 9-11, that was in February of 1993. And on February 26, 1993, terrorist attack New York's World Trade Center, six people were killed instantly in the attack and there were more than a thousand hurt. The FBI says on their website, Middle Eastern terrorism had arrived on American soil with a bang. And I was working in the airline industry in Vancouver uh, at the time, and I remember vividly all of the new rules that were placed, uh, that were put in place in the aviation business. I mean, like, this was the first time that terrorism had come to our soil here. There were so many, so many new regulations that were put in place. And even in my time in the airlines, I saw those gradually removed as time went by. Now, of course, a lot of them were re-implemented in 2001 when we had the terrorist attacks on uh, you know, the World Trade Center and on the Pentagon there. Um, but that is something that you know we, we become complacent as time goes by. Um, in this literature here, there's another line that really jumps out at me. It is also a key risk management tool during periods of expansion when innovation leads to new products. And I believe this is really, really applicable right now. Uh, we saw 
a similar situation back in the in the great financial crisis where we saw subprime borrowers. Well, you know, we all remember all the talk about CDOs. I mean, everybody was all of a sudden talking about these collateralized debt obligations that nobody knew about. All of a sudden, were so uh, on, the, on the front of everyone's mind. Things like the subprime loan issues that uh, were so prevalent back in the day. But I think of both of these examples here. I mean, the government's cranked up the regulations. Now, sometimes they do that for show. Uh, I think of the airline industry where a lot of it was just sort of to give the travelers some some um, comfort. Some of it, though, is absolutely legitimate. And, and you know, the, the regulators, I think, have a, a real trouble keeping up with these changes. And we're, you know, we're working in a new a reality now that a lot of the regulations are, are struggling really uh, to keep up with. Another major role that OSFI plays is when we come to liquidity adequacy requirements, or LAR. And this is something, again, that ties into what we've just seen south of the border here. OSFI sets the rules. And if we look at their guidelines on Chapter 2, there's a section on liquidity coverage ratio. And in Section 2.1, Paragraph 4, they say, This standard aims to ensure that an institution has an adequate stock of unencumbered HQLA, so high-quality liquid assets, that consist of cash or assets that can be converted into cash at little or no loss of value in private markets to meet its liquidity needs for a 30 calendar day liquidity stress scenario. And obviously we did not see that with the problems they had in the US this past month. There was not, I mean, they, they, they failed within a day or two. There certainly wasn't a 30 day um, liquidity uh, there. Uh, so the stress test that should have been done would have probably identified that. Uh, guideline B6 says, given the uncertain timing of outflows and inflows, institutions are also expected to be aware of any potential mismatches within the 30-day period and ensure that sufficient HQLA are available to meet any cash flow gaps throughout that period. Again, in the U.S., the big talk with Silicon Valley Bank was the mismatch between their bond portfolio and the ability to raise cash. Um, again, clearly they didn't have that 30-day buffer, uh, and OSFI would have played a very, very important role in a situation like this uh, for a Canadian institution um, under the same scenario. Now, I do want to move on now to the next group, the next pillar here, which is the CDIC, or the Canadian Deposit Insurance Corporation. As I mentioned earlier, since 67, there have been 43 financial institution failures. Interestingly, no money, at least then nothing that I can find, has been lost. So the CDIC has been there to protect customers up to $100,000 per account. And you can see on this table here, there are possibility of nine different scenarios with an institution where you can have your money protected. So there's money with you, there's joint accounts, there's money if you have savings and trust, and you can kind of look on down the line here to see the different categories. So there's a possible to have as high as $900,000 if they're all spread out like this, probably not like this scenario, but theoretically it is true against your various accounts. And also this is per institution. Now, a lot of people would say that $100,000 in 2023 is too low of a number. The, the rates were set back in 2005. So I think we might see some talk come out as to maybe raising the, the protection there, but that's where we currently sit today. What is covered? Well, deposits in Canadian or foreign currency, including payroll, interact e-transfer or checks are covered, GICs, other term deposits, and notably what is not covered, mutual funds, stocks and bonds, ETFs, and cryptocurrencies. So this program is not designed to help you with your investments per se, it's a savings protection up to that $100,000 limit here uh, for as far as who qualifies, what is a depositor. For the purpose of the CDIC deposit insurance, 
The depositor may be an individual, including a sole proprietorship, a corporation, a partnership, a government, a church, a charity, a nonprofit organization, a state, and a trustee that has monies placed with a member institution. When it says member institution, there are around 80 or so member institutions that are part of CDIC. I'm not going to go through them here at all, but you can go to uh, CD, cdic.ca to check uh, whether your bank or your institution is protected and falls under this umbrella as well. And lastly, this last pillar here, CIPF, the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. And if your member firm that you're invested with it becomes insolvent or bankrupt, you will be protected here. There are some very recent changes um, in the CIPF. As of January 1st, 2023, the former Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the MFDA Investor Protection Corporation were amalgamated to form a new investor protection fund that, which is called the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. So the name hasn't changed, uh, but the purpose has. So it's, it's a more of an all-encompassing protection now. This is separate from the CDIC. This is over and above the protection that you would get from the CDIC. So who's eligible for protection here? Well, on their website, they show three points of eligibility. Customers of an insolvent firm are generally eligible unless they are in the list of ineligible customers such as a director of the firm or an individual who contributed to the firm's insolvency. To be eligible, the account must be used for transacting securities or commodity and futures contracts business and must be fully disclosed in the records of a firm. Eligible property includes cash, securities, commodity and futures contracts and segregated funds held by the CIPF firm. Now, noticeably, crypto assets are not covered here. We'll take a quick look here at the coverage limits now, and they are significantly higher than you'd get under the uh, CDIC. For individuals, $1 million for all general accounts combined, plus $1 million for all registered retirement accounts combined, plus $1 million for all RESPs. You'll notice here that I say plus between each of those. So you have your general accounts, plus you have the registered accounts coverage, plus you have the RESP uh, coverage. If you're a corporation, a partnership, or an unincorporated organization, Again, the limit is generally a million dollars for all accounts combined. And again, you can go to their website, which is cipf.ca to look at uh, you know, some of the exceptions to these rules, see it, just to double check, make sure you're covered, and also see a list of the roughly 170 investment dealers that are covered under this, uh, this framework as well. I get it that a lot of people don't like regulations and I'm, I'm a little bit wondering, you know, with what's going on right now, will this just sort of spur more regulations? Uh, what are the negative effects that will have on the profitability of the financial institutions um, in general? Again, in 2007, 2008, 2009, Canada's bank system shone. It was a global a star out there. It proved to be strong, resilient. Uh, as a result of that, though, the government's really sort of raised the uh, capitalization requirements. They they raised the um, oversight policies. And especially in light of what we've just seen, I think we could probably categorize that as uh, so far, so good. Now, speaking of banks, uh, do you know what the two worst performing Canadian banks have been over the last 20 years? Uh, you can find out by watching this video right here. I thank you for watching this video and I do look forward to seeing you in the next video.